Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1 says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is great quiet time material if you don't know what to read next week. Great devotion material. It says, Abraham was the father of, father of Isaac. If you're reading from the ESV or one of the King James, it will say, begat Isaac. Isaac the father, was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose father was Ruth, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. You feeling ministered to? You sensing this, the presence of the Holy Spirit as I'm reading the Word of God? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Shall I carry on? Because we keep reading, I'm sure he'll come. Shall we skip? Yeah. <laughs> Someone said at the North East Equip, Numbers is the graveyard of every reading plan. <laughs> so we skip to verse 19. It says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Peter Asmussen said this, he said, you are part of a bigger story. You can start with Abraham, you can start with King David, you can start with even Jesus, and uh, Matthew takes great pains, and so do we as you read Matthew, to realize that each one fits into a story that's bigger than just you and me. He says, if you want to make your story just about you and your family, you're aiming too small. I read the other day, I don't know if you're going to like me saying this. I read the other day and it said, the family has become the idol of the 21st century. They talk about helicopter parents hover over their children and rescue them. Now we talk about lawnmower parents. One day I'll preach a sermon. I've got some notes. I can't wait. Talk about lawnmower parents. They go in front of their kids and they mow out any bumps in the road. There was an article where this person was saying, um, this mother phoned the school and uh, asked, uh, asked a, uh, uh, what was the story? They asked the teacher to please help the child with their lunch because it might be a little warm for their tongue. <laughs> well, we sent Jamie to a preschool where the principal of the preschool said, parents, you do not carry your children's backpacks into school. They can do it. The family is the idol. The family is the idol of the 21st century. I'm not saying we mustn't love our kids, but if we focus entirely on us, you and two, at the expense of Jesus, we're in trouble. He said, not me, he said, 
You need to be saved, rescued from your own little story because our definition of family is too small. You can give your life to raising your own kids, to getting a good family home, a bigger screen TV, but you're thinking too small. You're limiting your inheritance to just your family, just your kids, just your grandkids even. Yeah. Please smile at me over coffee. You see, because each one of us has a sphere, he said. Each one of us. And it's a much bigger Bible idea than just you and two. Jesus wants to rescue you from the gospel of you. <laughs> For many, ultimate Christianity is getting me and my family to church most Sundays just to get my injection for the week. You have a sphere. Those in your house, your work, your school, those 20 people or 30 or 40 people who come to your birthday party, your graduation, your kid's 21st. James isn't here, but when he graduated with his PhD, he had a celebration meal, which we were invited to. And uh, my goodness, I felt like we were the imposters in the group. And he had the Ugandan ambassador to South Africa at his celebration. Talk about a sphere. It could be hundreds of people. It could even be thousands. And they are all connected to a gospel story that started in the heart of God and ends in Jesus' return to as many as we can bring. You are part of a bigger story, he said. So you can turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to attempt this morning to mine this bigger gospel story a little bit, challenge us all, and uh, then we'll have a chance to pray before we're done, and we'll do that all in the last minutes that are remaining. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're reading, I'm reading from the Message Bible, but you follow along in yours. Verse 25, it says, Then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, well, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? The man said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Then notice the next, uh, next verse. Uh, who's not got the message Bible in front of them? Shout out what the next verse few words say. Verse 29. Just from where you are. Shout out. He wanted to justify himself. Is that what most of your Bible say? Something like that? The message puts it this way. Looking for a loophole. He asked, and just how would you define my neighbor? <laughs> I remember being given the job of weeding the garden when I was small. And I'm like, okay, dad, just how do you define a weed? Because <laughs> if I could crook the definition, I could adjust the workload, right? <laughs> Go and tidy your room. Just how do you define tidy, mom? Because <laughs> it's quite, it has an impact. Yes. 
Looking for a loophole, he said, just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered him by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him, and they went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. Just saying, the Bible calls us all priests. We are a kingdom of priests. I wonder if there are people in your sphere, more than you and two, point four and a picket fence. I wonder if there are people in your sphere that a priest is on the way. I hope so. You know how many people I know? Um, I forget which one. I don't want to tell you the wrong name, but... There's numbers of cricketers that get born again, and all of a sudden, the teammates are calling him, ah, oh, he's the pastor. Hey? How many Christians get called pastor? And sometimes it's a derogatory term, sometimes it's a term of respect. Yeah? I wonder if people in your sphere see you coming and count them lucky. <laughs> but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up, and he also in- avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him, and he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him up onto his donkey, and he led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on my way back. I love it when Jesus doesn't just tell us the answer, but he asks us some questions. Jesus said to, in verse 36, So what do you think? Which one of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by the robbers? It's patently obvious. Verse 37, The one who treated him kindly, the religious leader, scholar responded, Jesus said, Go and do the same. I want to ask us this morning, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Do you have, in your house, do you have one of those neighbors that you fight with? Or those that you smile at and help? These days, it's so easy. You can live in the most public of worlds and that you don't even know each other. Very easy. The priests of the day were considered with the spiritual and religious ministry to God. They were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. Avoided this poor person in his struggles. The Levites were the guys that wanted to keep order in the temple and the maintenance of the services and the buildings. And they were so busy being orderly that they missed an opportunity for God. The Samaritan man was well aware of his deficiencies and his disqualifications. He had no pretensions of correctness or no thoughts of superiority. He was not judgmental because he was aware of his own sinfulness. Verse 34, it says he went to him. The other guys went the other way around. I'm wondering who in your sphere and mine we need to go to. Says he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. Now, uh, who here carries a first aid kit in their car? One, two, three. Is that because it came with the car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's two people here outside of Richard the, that have these kits. Do you think this guy had a first aid kit strapped to the back of his donkey? 
Do you think that model came with a complimentary first aid kit? <laughs> yeah, the donkey. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So where would he have got some bandages from? His back pocket? No, I think he would have had to tear the edge of his clothes to make some... Yeah? See, I'm wearing my decent jeans this morning. There's no bandages made out of these ones. Colette, she bandaged up some people. Her jeans were perfect before we left home. Oil and wine, he probably would have carried with him for food, for patkos. Oil is a beautiful example in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Speaks of ministering under the anointing. He went to this man whom he should have ignored, and he ministered because the Lord had called him. Wine would have been part of his, his patkos, as I said, and um, use it as a, uh, what's the word? Disinfectant, thank you, whoever that was. Help the preacher out. And, um, but the Bible uses wine as a picture, an image of the new life of God. And when you and I go to our neighbor under the anointing of God, we can expect the new life of God to flow. I wonder if you have become a little um, stale in your Christianity because the wine is still in the bottle. It's as we pour the wine that the new life comes. Just asking. When we don't go to our neighbors, we wonder, God, why, why? It's like, God, give me money and I'll be generous. Just, just give me money in my bank account. And like, just, just keep there. I won't even spend it on myself. I'll just have it. And you say, God, why aren't you doing this? He says, well, you're not opening, you know. At the Northwest Equip, someone said, you know, you can't. What did they say about the full mouth? You, you can't drink with a full mouth. You can't eat, you know. Once if your vessel's full, don't ask for more. Just an interesting thing. Either got to ask for a bigger vessel or you're asking God to waste his whatever he's going to fill it with. It's just an interesting thought, right? I would suggest to you and me this morning that it's as we pour out our lives into others that the new life comes. Uh, puts him on his own donkey. How's your car? Honestly, how's your car? When last did you offer it to the Lord? See, cars in our world are all about rushing to work, rushing back. If you have family picking up and carrying the kids. Cars, at once in the year, they take us on holiday or twice if you're lucky. And mostly our cars are about rushing and going places. This guy's donkey was there to serve the Lord. Imagine this guy. You pick him up on the side of the road, dusty, bleeding, scuffed up. Puts him on his donkey. How would you like that to be the back seat of your car? You see, that guy, the Samaritan, also had leather seats. I'm just wondering, if God says, hey, your donkey, can I have it? Remember the disciples, Jesus says, go to the, the gate of the city, and there'll be a donkey, a colt there. And then just say to the guy who owns it, my master has need of it, and he'll say, fine, off you go. Man, maybe if we can respond to God like that the new life will flow. Will flow. Yeah. 
Man put him on his own donkey. It's amazing how quick we are to spend other people's resources. Oh, the government really should do something about this problem. Oh, the church should do something about this problem. It doesn't say he rushed off to the temple because they wouldn't have let him in because he was a Samaritan and asked for the temple donkey. He asked for someone else's torn garment. It says his own. Brought him to an inn. <laughs> Took care of him and said, I'd come back. It's interesting, three things. He went to him. He took care of him. He spent the night. And then he said, I'll come back to him. Interesting. <laughs> so, Jesus says, which one is the neighbor? And he says, the Samaritan. Jesus says, because if it's just me and mine, it's two smaller worlds. So who's my neighbor? The second thing I want to tell you, which is good news, is that neighbors are made and not born. Neighbors are made and not born. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, While Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will let you exercise your natural giftings. Find fulfillment and happiness. <laughs> No, he says, I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> I wonder who, who, who our neighbors are and how we can help them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my neighbor was trying to sort out his, he, he's gone now. My neighbor was trying to sort out his house. I think his in-laws were coming. And uh, he didn't have a lawnmower, so he, I mean, he must have been very brave. It's very awkward to ask people for help, right? And he said, man, can I, can I borrow your lawnmower? Do you mind? So I said, well, look, <laughs> it's not much, but such as it is, you're welcome. And uh, so off he went, and he mowed his lawn, and his parents came and went. And, and uh, then he phoned me up. He said, can I bring your lawn, lawnmower back? I said, no problem, bring it back. So he, he, he drove around, and he dropped off the lawnmower, and he pulled out a bottle of wine. He said, man, I just want to say thanks. It's just a lawnmower that he used for five minutes, you know. He, he said, yeah, I want to give you a gift. So I said, oh, I'm very sorry. I don't drink wine. I don't, know, I don't know what to do with that. So he said, well, what can I give you? So I rubbed my hands together. And I said, why don't we come have coffee at your house? Later they came to coffee at our house. Then they had a baby. You know, we were the only ones in their sphere that brought them a meal. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Just maybe God's put them in your sphere, giving you an opening. Some tall grass can be all it takes. <laughs> um. uh, when I was little, I grew up in Westville North. You have to say the north so that people know that you come from the good part of town. Westville North. Very impressive. We were like, you know they say that Natal is the last outpost. Remember Natal is where the foreigners came and they established the little enclave right there. Lived there, grew up there, had a great time. And then towards the middle of primary school, my dad was relocated for work. To the free state. I went from Westville North 
to Lady Brand. I kicked and screamed all the way. I didn't want to go to those Dutchmen. Those rednecks. I was so, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I was just a kid, but man, I was angry about this lot. I want to go to the school. In fact, we went to a, a dual medium school. There were so few English kids that they put two grades in one classroom. My goodness, when we went to woodwork or to, um, I'm trying to remember what they, they called it. There was a name for it, what we would call PT. Man, there the, it was like the Boer War right there, the English and the Afrikaans. And I, I tell you, I nearly came to, <laughs> it was so funny, little kids. When we hate each other because you speak this language, I speak that language. And I didn't want to be in Lady Brand. I wanted to be with my friends in the hotel. <laughs> then... Um, my dad was moved for work again, and we moved to the south coast. And man, I surfed, learned how to surf. I surfed. You know what? We used to hate those volleys that used to come down and mess up where we were surfing. They'd come float in the sea where we were, where's, where we were supposed to catch our waves. So what we did, we sharpened the nose of our surfboards. We made sure the skegs on our, the fins on our boards were nice and sharp. And Dutchman, if you were in my way, you were in trouble. Over your head. <laughs> you know, then in grade 11, I got saved. I remember early in grade 12, God got a hold of me. I was at a church thing. And God got a hold of me. And he dealt with my prejudice in my heart. And you might think it's a stupid thing. I say God took me to task because I was a terrible neighbor. Took me to task because I thought I was better than. And I was walking on the other side of the road and I was ignoring those that he wanted to send me to. The good news is that neighbors are made and not born. You know, even Peter, the disciple, good old Peter, even he was made into a neighbor. He was a terrible neighbor when Jesus met him. The terrible neighbor. And the Bible says one day he was having a quiet time on the roof of his house. They built the roofs like that on his veranda. Put it that way. On his balcony. And uh, while he was praying, he slips into a trance. And he sees this, 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 uh, this picture, and he sees a, a blanket come down with clean and unclean animals. And he was still, he'd grown up Jewish, and he was like, I can't. And the voice of the Lord says to him, take, kill, and eat. And he says to God, oh, I'm too spiritual to do what you're telling me. Sounds like the priest walks on the other side of the road. Uh-huh. Oh, God, I can't go and talk to that, but I'm far too spiritual. You know, if the priest had helped that Samaritan, he would have been unclean, ceremonially unclean. He wouldn't have been able to go and priest. So he's like, mm. <laughs> I remember when, how's my time? Yo. When Colette and I uh, first arrived in Gauteng, we, we, were in, we were living that side. I remember we were driving to church and we, there at the Eastgate off-ramp, there was a, a little hatchback that had broken down or had a flat tire or something. And there was a girl standing outside of her car. So we, of course, we slowed down. And uh, as we slowed down, she looked at us and she got in her car, closed the door and uh, jumped out the car to go and say, can I help? And you could just see her winding up the window. I didn't realize I was such a scary guy. And I got to the window. I said, can I help you? She says, I'm fine. Thank you. And uh, God says to Peter, take, kill and eat. And he says, no, God, I can't. So it tells him three times. Eventually, he says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection, Acts chapter 10. You see, he finishes with God, and it's almost like immediately, I don't know, they don't tell us the timing, but it, it seems like in the story, it's like there's a knock on his gate down the bottom of the house, and these Gentiles saying, please come and minister. Before that trance, he would never, before he heard God, he would never have gone because he was a bad neighbor, and God made him a good neighbor. Aren't you glad that God can make you and me better neighbors? The third thing I want to say as I finish is that good neighbors reach the world because you and two is not a big enough story. God wants to enlarge our spheres that wherever we go, we can bring his presence. And so Paul goes to Ephesus. He's catching a boat going somewhere else. He preaches, people get saved, and they start to put a church. Church Out of this church, the seven churches in Revelation are planted. The gospel is spread in that area of Asia. It's a significant church. I want to tell you quickly just about five neighbors that find themselves in that church because good neighbors reach the world. The first is Paul. He's the one that, that starts. He preaches first, and the church has begun through his ministry. But remember, Paul was an apostle with a past. Maybe he was a bad guy. I love the Paul the Apostle of Christ movie, the recent one. It shows, interestingly, it shows the guilt he must have carried until God set him free. But man, he would have jailed Christians, tortured Christians, killed Christians. In fact, the Bible tells us when he first <laughs> tried to join the Christians, they didn't want anything to do with him until Barnabas vouched for him. Yeah, he was an apostle with a past. Priscilla and Aquila, he, Paul meets them in Corinth where they working, and it says because they were tent makers, they worked together, and then they, he stayed, they stayed together. He, he, he went and lived in their house. And then they move with him. They go to Ephesus, and uh, there's a number of reasons. They could have been expanding their business. It could have been Roman persecution, but maybe they leave a manager at the shop in Corinth, and they go off to Ephesus across the sea. They're expanding the business, and uh, Paul Paul sticks around for just a few weeks or months, and then he goes off, leaving them to look after the Christians. The Bible tells us that the church meets in their house. Just a guy and a girl with a job, busy, <laughs> dealing with like expansion and all of these things. The third one is Apollos. Apollos was this, he was trained in preaching. He had the silver tongue gift of the gab, and uh, he starts preaching. And then Apollos, uh, Priscilla and Aquila call him over and they say, hey, do you know about the Holy Spirit? He says, well, who's the Holy Spirit? The Bible says they explain to him better the way of salvation. And then he goes and he continues to preach. You see, Apollos was a gifted, but he was a work in progress. Paul gets ready to leave Ephesus again and he, sends to, he says to Timothy, you stay and look after. Now, Paul would have met Timothy. He could have been as young as 16. He could have left him in Ephesus in his, at 20 or in his very early 20s, 22 22. We know that Paul from the Scriptures, uh, Timothy from the Scriptures, is, he was young, but he also had some timidity issues. Finally, we know that John, the disciple, spends most of his later years in Ephesus. He's the disciple that lives the longest. He, the historians tell us he would have looked after um, Jesus' mom, just like Jesus told him. She probably lived in his house. John ministered till he was 90-something. He would have planted those seven churches. He would have traveled apostolically. He would have known that local church. He was old, but he was still faithful. Here's my point. Jesus says to the rich young guy, who's your neighbor? 
go and do likewise. Many of us have excuses. We say, oh, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. I've got nothing to share with anyone. I want nothing to share with anyone. Paul was an apostle who had a past, and he still became a good neighbor. What about Priscilla and Aquila? You might say, man, God, you don't know how busy I don't have five minutes. Someone told me at the, at the halftime tea break, they said, man, I used to do this hobby, but I just don't have time anymore. Sound familiar? I just don't have time. I'm holding down a job, and these days it's like it's two jobs. I mean, there are very few jobs that are just one job, right? Hey, my time is taken up. I'm stretched in every direction. Just business people, people with a job, and yet in their house the church met. In their house, Paul had a place to stay. What about Apollos? You might say, oh, God, when, when I'm ready, I'll serve you. <laughs> you see, he was gifted, but he was a work in progress. He just got stuck in. <laughs> you might say, oh, Lord, I'm not ready. I don't have a nice house. I don't have a nice thing to say. I'm not sure I understand everything. God made him a good neighbor. What about Timothy? You might say, oh, Lord, but I'm scared of my neighbors. What about John? Oh, Lord, it's time for someone else to do that. There's, all God wants is a faithful person. I want to say to you this morning that those five categories really don't leave us with any excuses, right? Jesus said to that rich young man, go and do likewise. You know what's interesting is we always say that um, the issue in the rich young guy's heart was that he was rich and his, he didn't have his possessions, his possessions had him. Jesus says, give those things up and follow me, and he couldn't. But remember, he was looking for a loophole. Remember that? He was looking. He said, define my neighbor. Like, can I have less neighbors that I have to concentrate on? Do you know that World Vision says that up until 1820, 100 and whatever, a couple of years ago, hmm. 200 years ago, up until 1820, 90% of the world's population was poor. This guy was looking <laughs> for smaller neighbors. Jesus gave him the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it's the beginning of the Beatitudes. Jesus goes onto a mountain and preaches. The very first thing he says to them, he says, Blessed, anyone know it? The first thing he says, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> you see, this young Jewish guy was looking for less people in his circle. And Jesus is saying, the whole world fits in our circle. I want to pray for two types of people this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. But first of all, maybe like Peter, you need to let the Lord make you into a better neighbor. Put room in your heart for more people than you have currently. Maybe there's some people you wish weren't in your sphere. And Jesus wants to make you a good neighbor to them. You can't point fingers at me as a preacher today. I didn't put people in your sphere. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Bible. Number one, make me a better neighbor. Number two, take away any of the excuses we might have that our hearts would be open for everyone, not just for the loophole few. Is that all right? Understand the two? Can I ask everyone to stand?
And just where you're standing, you can respond. I'm done singling out people. Just where you're standing, you can respond. And, and Father, I pray for us this morning as a group. I pray for those that maybe haven't been great neighbors. Lord, you took fishing men and you made them into fishers of men. I pray, Lord, as you've welcomed us into your family, Lord, that we would open our hearts and welcome many into ours. I pray for those that were like me, Lord, that really had issues <laughs> and didn't have an open heart. I pray this morning, God, that you would open our hearts, that you'd take away any excuse. My house is too small. My food is too little. My rooms are too few. I pray, God, that you'd put heart, uh, space in our hearts for those that you've put into our sphere. And then those of us, Lord, like these five, I pray there'd be no excuses whether we have a past, whether we're busy, whether we're not, fit, not ready yet, whether we're nervous, or whether we think we're too old. I pray all of us, Lord, that you'd make us good neighbors. Help us, Lord, reach out to those people that you put in our sphere for the kingdom of God's sake in Jesus' name.